Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis, and this week I'll talk to George Eaton and Stephen Bush about Corbyn mania and our endorsement for Yvette Cooper. Then Nusha Kalian shares a discussion between Helen Thomas and Barbara Speed about the Ashley Madison hack. This week, as the Labour leadership enters its 9,350th week, the New Statesman has decided to endorse Yvette Cooper. We set out our reasons in a leader yesterday, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about it with George Eaton, our political editor, and our Staggers editor, Stephen Bush. George, first of all, we kind of came to this decision as a magazine to back Yvette. I suppose the first question that everybody will say is, what's the point of, of backing Yvette when Jeremy Corbyn is, as far as everyone knows, going to steam home with this like like a, like a steam train? Mm. Yeah, so partly it's a matter of principle. We think she is the best candidate. Um, she's the most experienced. Uh, she's got intellect. She's credible. It's the best opportunity I think Labour's had in its history to finally elect its first female leader. But it's also a matter of pragmatism. Um, as the leader points out, there are lots of Labour MPs from all wings of the party who don't think that Jeremy Corbyn will make it to the election. In fact, they'd be surprised if he survived as leader for more than two years um, were Yvette Cooper to to come second in the race, she would be quite well positioned to then take over and to and and to stand again. Though, of course, should MPs try to depose Corbyn at some point, there would be nothing to stop him standing in the subsequent contest. If you're challenged for the Labour leadership, you go back on the ballot anyway. So, um, yeah, I've, so I've been looking okay. through the Labour Party rulebook over the last couple of days because I you know how to have fun, <laughs> uh, and um, and in, as far as I can tell, yeah, you you just. You, you, you've pushed someone, then you have a full rerun, but you, you run as a challenger to the leader. The leader is on the ballot as a matter of course. Ah, right, okay. So, but I thought it was really interesting. So Jeremy Corbyn has also written in the magazine this week, and it's a very conciliatory piece, isn't it, George? Like, he has said that, you know, this reference to all wings of the party. And actually, although he doesn't want to bring back shadow cabinet elections, he did make, you know, he would try to appoint people to his shadow cabinet who don't agree with him. The question, I guess, is, and you've, you've referred to this in your cover story, who would actually say yes and who is, thinks that it's better to be in the backbenches mm. fomenting dissent? Some groups will obviously leap at the chance to serve under Jeremy Corbyn, those who've supported him. So that's mainly the old left of the party. So figures such as John Trickett, who's currently in the shadow cabinet, uh, John McDonnell, uh, Michael Meacher, uh, perhaps even Dennis Skinner. And then there's what you could call new old Labour, uh, which is the left-wing new intake, I think 13 of whom nominated Jeremy Corbyn. You've got people like uh, Clive Lewis there, 
who has already been tipped by uh, commentators such as Owen Jones as a possible uh, left-wing successor to Corbyn. I liked his Clive Lewis's comment about the, basically the poison chalice of being identified. I yes, guess it's, um, I thought it was quite wise. Tall poppy syndrome, essentially. If you're kind of destined for greatness, then you become the target of everyone's attacks from day one. In addition, actually, as, as Clive Lewis told me, he says there are some MPs who are voting for Andy Burnham or Yvette Cooper who are quietly quite excited by the prospects of Corbyn winning. Um, you know, a lot of Labour MPs have always wondered what would the, how would the party fare if, if a real socialist was in charge? What would have happened if Tony Benn had won the 1981 deputy leadership contest? And, and they're about to find out. He also says there are some who would otherwise be destined for backbench obscurity who will leap at the chance to hold a front bench position to go on the, on, on the networks, to, go, to have a, a, a prominent policy portfolio and suddenly become national figures. It, I think, and there are a lot of journalists who quite want Jeremy Corbyn to win because it is the most interesting result. It's the most one that you, it makes it yeah. most hard to predict what will happen next, which is basically all that journalists want. Um, Stephen, I want to talk to you a little bit about the fact there's been lots of people complaining on social media today about the fact that their, um, their entrance, that their registration as a supporter has been cancelled. How seriously should, I mean, how, it's a difficult course, I guess, for the Labour Party to, to navigate between making sure that they do vet people properly and also the unfairness of perhaps chucking people out who felt that they should be able to vote. Yeah, I mean, so they, they have um, they have two problems, and I, I will, by the time this podcast has come out, there'll be an excellent article for you all to read, so run to the NS website and read it now. Or well, after the, we finish after this finish listening to the podcast. podcast. So they've got these two problems. The nightmare scenario for them isn't a Corbyn victory, although for most people who work for the Labour Party, they think they will either be um, forced out or that their job will um, will cease to exist. I mean, I was talking to someone who works on major donors, and as they said, they just said, I, I find it hard to believe Jeremy Corbyn will attract many uh, big corporate donors, so they imagine their job will be surplus to requirements. Um, but they, they confidently expect him to win anyway. Their fear is that if they do not have a clean ballot, uh, Labour MPs may take the process to court. And obviously, from their perspective, the one thing which will make Labour look more ridiculous than this prolonged, slightly farcical leadership election where they... It's two prolonged farcical two prolonged leadership. farcical leadership elections with a court case in between. And we all know Jeremy Corbyn would win on a clean ballot as well. So what, what they're doing is they've sort of turned up their filter to 11 and then they have a list of everyone who stood for uh, local or parliamentary office last time around for other parties and a list of all of their supporting nominations. When you stand for something, you need to get some people in the local area to prove you're not, you know... A complete crank and so if your name matches that and you're that person on the electoral roll you don't get a vote um if you have and then local parties are beginning the list of people and going well do you know these people uh you know are they friends of the labor party the, the unfairness then comes if you are have joined in a moribund labor party let's say you're joined in east surrey if the membership of east surrey is listening and is very active i'm sorry i've pulled you from the ether but it's a tory say a uh, tory stronghold you'd assume the labor party is not doing that much door knocking um if you join there and you are a green party uh, member who's never tweeted about it on twitter you know never joined it on facebook you've never encountered the local labor party you're going to be fine if you are a young person who you know tweeted has got a twibbon has uh, got, got a green a, party twibbon got a dr- green party twibbon then uh, then you know you're, you're going to get purged or say if you've stood as a candidate for the national health action party as yeah. just as a for instance yeah i mean i think my favorite person isn't marcus town for being angry to being kicked out which i mean i thought was surprising it's jeremy hardy who has literally raised money for they think they have a fairly complete list of everyone who's you know appeared at a fundraiser 
for another political party, and obviously they don't get to vote either. I think the problem, you know, one source said to me this morning, you know, we did a great job of selling the idea that you need to support Labour's values. Uh, what we forgot is, and you also have to support their aims. I.e. the election of a Labour Yeah, government. election of a Labour MP, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I personally don't think Labour should have wasted as much time and money as it did trying to beat Caroline Lucas in Brighton Pavilion. However, they did. And if you fund, fund, if you raise money for a candidate who they were standing against, yeah, you don't get to vote in the leadership election. Well, uh, are we, how many more of these podcasts have we got to? No, I'm not. I'm sure people are, are laughing up every single word we're telling them about the Labour leadership election. And, and they've got another three weeks to go. Um, but for the moment, thank you very much, George and Stephen. I'm Anusha Kellyan, Deputy Web Editor of The New Statesman, and I'm joined by Barbara Speed, our tech writer, and Helen Thomas, who's written a very interesting article for us this week about a hack that you may have heard about on the uh, dating site Ashley Madison. Now, first of all, can, can Barbara, can you explain to me what this what this site actually is? Yeah, so it's not your standard dating site. Um, it's actually a site for people who want to have affairs or want to have affairs with people who want to have affairs. Um, so even more so than any other dating site, a data leak from this site is going to be very, very embarrassing for its users because these are people who are basically hiding something from their partner, which is partly why the leak is so dramatic. The other reason is that a group of hackers have basically released about 33 million, I think, data sets of users onto the deep web which is area of the internet which standard users can't access but other hackers across the internet have been downloading this information and basically publishing parts of it so this is probably one of the biggest leaks of user data in history and it's also extremely embarrassing for the people involved. Helen can you tell us what is actually involved in this information what 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 information has been leaked? So the information that has been leaked are email addresses, street addresses, uh, full names, usernames, Um, There's even a few uh, partial credit card numbers, but we have to be careful with this information because, uh, first of all, some of it might be false, and second of all, Ashley Madison doesn't require email verification, so um, anyone can use any email address to sign up, and they don't actually have to prove that it's theirs. So, I mean, there are um, plenty of .gov um, email addresses on there, and I think you'd have to be quite a silly politician to use (laughs) your professional email address. So there's one from supposedly Tony Blair, but I I highly doubt um, that he has been using his professional email address to use Ashley Madison. Okay, <laughs> not the worst thing he would have done anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so I was just wondering whether um, you guys know at all who these hackers might be, because there's been a history here with these hackers and Ashley Madison, hasn't there? They've been threatening to hack the site and release uh, people's data for a while. Um, yeah, so it's a hacktivist group um, who contacted Ashley Madison, I think a month ago, and made a very public statement that they were going to release the information if uh, Ashley Madison and another website that the parent company owns, which sets up rich men with women, if those two sites weren't shut down, then they you know, threatened to release the information. Ashley Madison and Avid Life Media, I think is the name of the parent company, were very adamant that this was false and it was an empty threat. And there have been known to be a few of these kind of empty threat hacks in the past um, claiming that you know you have a lot of access to information and and it will be be leaked but I don't think Ashley Madison were quite expecting for it to actually happen and and now it has so they're in a bit of a bit of a pickle Um, I don't really know how they're going to be able to retract 
that level of information. It is on the dark web as well, uh, which um, for those of you who don't know means that you go through several layers of, of torrent network to access the dark web, which means it's very difficult to trace users who have uh, access to that information and who have put information there. So it's a very, very good way of putting out secure information and accessing secure information. So, you know, it's 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 not going to be possible to catch these hackers, I don't think. But l as well, I think there's also something to be said for the fact that not that many people, I think, relatively are going to actively log on to the dark web to access the information because it is quite an effort. You have to download um, software programs like the Tor to access it. So, you know, there is a degree of data protection there. And Barbara, why are the hackers uh, targeting this particular site? Are they, are they claiming that it's some moral mission? I think kind of, yeah. I mean, a lot of hacker groups claim that this is kind of vigilante justice and what they're doing. I don't think there was that much information in their original threats, but it's clear that there is a moral element in targeting Ashley Madison as opposed to targeting, say, OkCupid, okay which are just tend to be standard people looking for dates. But equally, I think you can't underestimate the level to which hackers also just want to show that they're powerful and that they can undermine huge numbers of people and that they can do things that they like think are funny, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's all the, the level to which they really think they're doing justice in the world is very limited, especially because I don't think many people think that a fair response to people cheating is to have their names, addresses and credit card details published uh, in public. So I think that it's a sort of mixture of the two really. Okay. And you say that they want to show how powerful they are. Are they powerful? Helen, what do you think? I think they're supremely powerful, but we're not quite sure yet what that means because, as I say, it's not really been used on this scale before. Obviously, we had the Sony data leak, but there's obviously a, a question of whether that was was real or not um, earlier this year. I think with hackers so far, it's always been about the threat and the power of the threat. And obviously, uh, government and society doesn't want to kind of bow down to it. But, you know, these are highly skilled people. They know so much about technology that we couldn't even dream of. And there's a perception that they're kind of spotty teenagers sitting in their bedrooms with nothing to do. And that is definitely not the case. I think that, you know, they are supremely powerful, but we just don't really know what, what that means yet. Okay, well, on that terrifying note, I think we'll end this discussion. Thank you very much, Barbara and Helen. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.